If you don't love your hair, it's time to try Function of Beauty. Never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com AMR to take your quiz and save 20% off your first order. Don't let fretting about sleep keep you up at night. Calm, the app designed to help you ease stress, has myriad methods to help you get the best sleep of your life. Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com AMR. Superfood, super deal. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition that tastes great. To get 15% off any product, go to Organifi.com AMR and use promo code AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined for a second week in a row by Dimity McDowell. Hello, Dimity. Woohoo! Repeater. I'm streaking, Sarah. I'm keeping a streak. <laughs> you are. And it's good because now you can give us an uh, update. Uh, if people, I hope people listened to the big news last week, re- refresh their minds as to what you announced last week. And sure. Give us an update. Sure. Yeah, I am going to do um, uh, the hopefully the Aquabike National Championships, which is outside of Nash, uh, outside of New York City at the end of September. Uh, and I have hired coaches Liz and Jen to be my uh, physical, spiritual, mental guides on this journey. <laughs> they're your uh, shaman. They're your shaman. Yeah, exactly. Your shaw women. Uh-huh, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, training started officially on March 1st, which was Monday. And um, that was a rest day. So that was a rough <laughs> one. Um, and then yesterday, I went to the pool for the second time in 2021. Uh, it was very... Um, nice to be in the water. I always forget about how I, you know, I, it's the, um, preparation that always impedes me from going to the pool, right? Mm. Like changing, having the equipment, showering, driving home, feeling all scratchy and chlorine Like it's not the, the swim itself, but every time I get in the water, I'm like, oh yeah, that was worth it. That was worth it. You know, kind of, you kind of get over that mental hurdle. And uh, uh, have to, have to ask what type of restrictions do you have at your pool? Um, well, you have to walk in with a mask. Um, mm-hmm. they're very few. You don't have to make a reservation anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you wear can a you mask. Go ba- can you go back into the locker room after you swim to change? Yes. Yes. I don't oh, get yeah. yelled oh, at for luxury. wearing my bathroom. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I gotta say, um, nothing against the Goods and Rec Center. It actually is very nice and clean and all that, but I've just never cared much for public, uh, locker rooms. <laughs> uh, as a rule, you know, I mean, I'll wear my flip flops and I'll be all right. But, um, and then I'm like, am I showering in my mask? Like, how does it work? I'd rather just basically what I've been doing is, well, what I did yesterday and what I think I'll continue to do, uh-huh. wear my suit to the pool, you know, with some sweats and a t-shirt, whatever over it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, just change they have a whole bunch of like tables and benches and stuff around the outside of the pool so i just strip down there mm-hmm. get all my equipment together get you know um and um and then take off my mask walk over to my lane mm-hmm. swim walk back to the table <laughs> dry off put my stuff back on and just walk out the regular door instead of through the locker room oh, so see, i mean so you're basically living the oregon life at the pool then you know because we just walk through the locker room and then you have to put your stuff out by the pool and you can't go back in the locker room yeah. after after it's all done and so yeah. And then do you keep your workout like in a little plastic baggie, a Ziploc? Well, that's yeah, that's actually what I did. So it was fun yesterday because it wasn't the first time, you know, I have a I have a Ziploc 
baggy full of workouts that are, you know, all, um, what's the word, you know, they're all muster, you know, they've all been dripped on and they're kind of hard to read and, you know, but I kind of know them because I've done them so much. They're so like yesterday, artifacts. Uh-huh. Yeah, artifacts. And I'm like, oh, okay, I hate that one. I'm not doing that one, you know, going kind of filing through looking for like the least painful one I can find. Uh-huh. Um, and so it was so fun yesterday to have a have a new workout. So I, mm. I put a brand new workout in my little plastic baggie. Yep. <laughs> Um, so that was really fun. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was good. It was, uh, I did, uh, had a couple missteps, really, um, not very, uh, Uh (laughs) misstrokes. Well, yeah. So the first one was, uh, I was supposed to do a one arm drill and I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if I put my other arm, if I'm just doing my left arm, is my right arm out in front of me or is it to the Mm -hmm. side by my hip? Mm -hmm. Well, I picked out in front because that's easier, right? It gives you Mm -hmm. a little bit more of a ballast. Uh, Should be by your hip. Um, And then the other one was, oh, it was like a set of of 75. So it was kick, kick, drill, swim. Mm-hmm. So kick, I was like, well, do you, do I use fins? And of course I want to use fins because it makes you go <laughs> 10,000 times faster. So I kept, I did use fins. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept them on for the whole cheater, 75. Cheater. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I kept them on for the whole 75, in <laughs> fact, because I was like, I'm not going to take them off after every 20. Oh, that's a waste of time. Of course. <laughs> Why would you do that? Exactly. So not only did I have my extra jet propulsion with my fins, <laughs> but I had, I did the one arm drill wrong, but everything else I, I executed mm-hmm. perfectly. So. Okay, well, we'll just dock you, you know, a couple points on that, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, so that, uh, that so yeah, I did that yesterday, and then, oh, and I did my strength training. Um, oh, very good. I've, I've integrated the Many Happy Miles strength training, and then today was a, um, a bike ride, so uh, mm. inside. So, inside. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. So, yeah, off and running, two down. <laughs> I don't even want to think about how many to go. Or actually, three down. So. It's just until September. I mean, come on. I know. I will Six say, though, training. it felt so far, I mean, again, like two two days in, but it feels nice to have, um, well, A, someone else write the workouts. I yeah. appreciate Make the that decisions. a lot. Mm-hmm. Make the decisions. We're going to talk about decision fatigue yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and with our podcast guest. And then also, um, and then also uh, just kind of having it have a purpose, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. You know, I feel like, I mean, yes, a workout is a workout and it helps in myriad ways, but I'm like, okay, this is going to, you know, this is my beginning week of, you know, hopefully that's going to end with, you know, a, a nice thing coming out of the oven. We'll see. Yeah. And you love fresh starts, Timothy. So. I do love a good fresh a start. A nice, clean, fresh start. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, clean, crisp, to use another Dimity word. I love a, I love the word crisp. I love how it feels crisp when you say it. Yes, yes. Oh, well. So how's, I, how's, how have your workouts gone? Oh, they're fine. They're week. fine. My, uh, my, um, found, <clears throat> excuse me, found 19 cents on my run today. And um, so as you alluded to, March 1st was just Monday. So I counted my change. I have found nearly $6 in coins already this year. All coins. That? All coins, including a dollar coin. Oh, wow. So, yeah, okay. my first time ever finding um, a Sacagawea, as they say in Oregon, a Sacagawea dollar. So yeah. Nice. That's yeah, vers- versus growing up in Connecticut, I would say Sacagawea. 
So yeah. <laughs> you're so you, you made such changes. I have. I have. Really, you know, really matured. I, I eat best foods mayonnaise now instead of Hellman's. You know, I'm just adopting <laughs> this West Coast lifestyle. <laughs> Isn't it the same thing? Oh my gosh! That no, is, that is not. okay. It to- no, it totally is. But I was just telling my kids about the first time I ever went grocery shopping when I moved to the West Coast. I must have stood in the condiments aisle for five minutes, being like, "Well, it looks just like Hellman's, but it says Best Foods. I don't know. Should I buy it? Should I not buy it?" And I, I was tortured. I was tortured. Well, because it doesn't it have essentially the same packaging, like the oh, same color correct. and the little oh, ribbon the same and everything. Logo, the, everything. Yeah. Oh, it's except for the words. Except there, I was in this. Um, I was in a bodega. It was just you know, it was 1988. So I that you just went from where you lived and found the closest grocery store, and it ha- for me happened to be a bodega. And so there were kind of a lot of things. You know, I didn't know what hominy was, or you know, a lot of foreign things to me there. And so adding to that was that the, you know, st- I'm like, well, I got to buy my condiments. I got to stock up my my fridge in my new little <laughs> $550 a month apartment <laughs> and, uh, for San Francisco. That was quite a deal. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm like, oh, I need mayonnaise. And oh my gosh. I mean, like you could smell the smoke coming out of my ears. I was thinking so hard. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Nice. Um all right, Dim. Well, let's leave off this talk of condiments because we have an extra special guest today. It is Alexi Pappas, who is a true Renaissance woman. Alexi is an Olympic runner, filmmaker, actor, poet, and author, all by the age of 30. Her first book, Bravey, Chasing Dreams, Befriending Pain, and Other Big Ideas, came out in mid-January. It's a memoir of candid, lyrically crafted essays detailing her turbulent young childhood, the evolution of herself as a runner, her epic battle with depression after competing in the 2016 Summer Olympics, her creative fruition, and loads of introspection, insight, and advice. Dimity and I will talk with Alexi after this break. You definitely want to stay with us. Living life either in a Zoom box or with half our face covered, our hair makes even more of an impact than usual. So to me, it seems more important than usual to have my hair look its best. The way I've recently found to make this happen is using Functional Beauty Customized Just For Me Shampoo and Conditioner. Functional Beauty is the world leader in customizable beauty, offering precise formulation for your hair specific needs. Here's how to get started. First, take a quick but thorough quiz to tell them a little about your hair type and what they call hair goals, such as shine, fixed split ends, control oil, or deep condition. Next, choose your color and fragrance, or go fragrance and dye free. Then, Functions Team determines the perfect blend of ingredients, bottles your formula, and delivers it to your doorstep. Every ingredient Function of Beauty uses is vegan and cruelty-free, and they never use sulfates or parabens. You can also opt to go completely silicone-free. I had fun with my formulation, dubbing it Functions of Bammers, thinking of you guys, and making it a pretty blue aqua color. Focusing on hair goals like anti-frizz, soothe scalp, and hydrate, the custom shampoo and conditioner feel luxe and smell delightfully of lavender. My hair feels noticeably softer, my scalp is way less flaky and itchy, and my hair behaves the way I want it. You'll have to ask Dimity and the rest of Team AMR, but I think my hair looks far more fetching on our frequent Zoom meetings. Never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash AMR to take your quiz and save 20% on your first order. Again, that's functionofbeauty.com slash AMR to let them know you heard about it from our show and to get 20% off your order. Functionofbeauty.com slash AMR. Sleep. Our guest Alexi Pappas talks about this crucial for your health and athletic performance element later in the episode, detailing how lost hours of sleep hampered her running and her mental health. We know she's right. Falling asleep relatively easily and staying asleep is critical for our well-being. 
bring calm into your life to help. This aptly named app is designed to help you ease stress and get the best sleep of your life. Calm has a robust library of programs designed for healthy sleep, like guided meditations, soundscapes, and hundreds of sleep stories narrated by soothing voices like Harry Styles, Laura Dern, and Priyana Chopra Jonas. There are even nap stories, if Alexi and me singing the praises of naps motivates you later in the show. More than 85 million people around the world use Calm to soothe their mind and get better sleep. You should too. Lately, I've been utilizing Calm sleep meditations. I close all the other apps on my phone, put down my book or the TV remote, and listen to a meditation in a darkened room under a soft blanket. My current go-to is letting go into sleep, which soothes and releases my mind and body. Drifting off with gratitude and deep sleep release are also very effective. For listeners of our show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash AMR. That's 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library, and new content is added every week. Get started today at calm.com slash AMR. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash AMR. Calm.com slash AMR. As a busy mom of three young girls who also works from home, I'm lucky if I get hummus and pretzels for lunch. And as runners, we know that is a terrible way to refuel and get ready for your next workout. That's why I'm really glad I got introduced to Organifi, a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition that actually tastes great. Organifi blends, like my favorite Organifi green and red juices, are quick and complete. Their blends are gently dried superfood powder that's easy to use. Simply mix it with water for quality nutrition in less than 30 seconds. No shopping, chopping, juicing, or blending. I don't have to clean my blender by hand. Sign me up. I also love the protein powder for both myself and my kids. We all have a smoothie most mornings, so it makes me feel good when I sneak some protein powder in there and a green juice and send them on the way to school. Simply put, Organifi powder is juice that's gently dried. Some of the green juice ingredients are spirulina, the nutrient-dense blue-green algae loaded with antioxidants, wheatgrass, mint, and turmeric. It contains less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Organifi uses the highest quality plant-based ingredients that taste delicious mixed with just water. To get 15% off any product, go to Organifi.com slash AMR and use promo code AMR. That's 15% off any product at O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash AMR with promo code AMR. It's key you spell it correctly so Organifi knows we sent you. Again, it's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash AMR with promo code AMR. Alexi Pappas, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's nice to meet you over this podcast and I'm, I'm very honored to be here. Oh, you're sweetie. Thank you. Well, and I loved, I mean, we all loved your book and uh, I read it. Uh, I, I had started it, but I finished it. Uh, I, I got back into it after a lunch on Saturday. And literally, I like then just took to the couch and read for like three or four more hours. I was like, everybody leave me alone. And there were a bunch of comments. I know that um, a lot of our listeners in our community have read and loved Bravey as well. Um, from reading it, uh, we know that your running journey had some twists and turns along the way. It wasn't like, you know, child prodigy to Olympian. So can you kind of give us um, like the short documentary version of your running um, coming yeah. into Rio? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think I like like some other kids played a lot of sports and did a lot of activities and really enjoyed that. And I think what I found was that what I enjoyed most about honestly, the creative pursuits and all the athletic ones was the team element and just chasing 
a team goal and how much fun hard work could be when you had that team goal. And I found that in other sports before I found it in running. And I think that was just environmental, you know, like some people have really amazing high school team experiences and some don't. And mine was not a great environment in the running sense Mm -hmm. in that um, my coaches really wanted all the athletes to just run. And I think that that's a really fair thing to ask of like a college athlete or a professional athlete. But I found that in high school, I just really wanted to spread my wings and everything I was doing. And so I didn't run junior and senior year. I was like, you know, de facto kicked off the team because I had these other things I wanted to do. And what that meant was when I got to Dartmouth in college, I wasn't in great running shape. I was in great soccer shape. And, um, you know, I couldn't run more than four miles without walking. Um, but I was really determined to contribute to the team because I loved the team there. And it was like a team that felt like actually fun to work hard with and for. And I little by little, you know, like added 10 miles a week to my mileage every year. And eventually scored that team point and opened up uh, quite a few more team points to the, to the point where I could fathom having an Olympic dream and, and chase that at the university of Oregon. I did a fifth year and then joined a team out there, the Oregon track club and ran in my first Olympics in 2016. Um, and that was, that was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. We're going to circle back to you. Um, uh, not being on the high school track team. I want to uh, talk about that a little bit later, but um, but right now we are in the middle or hopefully towards the end of this pandemic um, and you are thinking about the 2020 Olympics. What has the waiting been like um, with the certainty of the games happening being a bit blurry right now? Yeah, well, I think the toughest part for me was last year around this time because sure. I went over to Greece and thought I was preparing for about a month for a race in Europe in the marathon. And then right when I got there, which was like around literally a year ago, um, Greece shut down really serious lockdown. They were right next to Italy. Italy was like the first, you know, really affected country um, and or the one that shut down, you know, pretty immediately. And I got stuck over there for almost five months unexpectedly. And I switched coaches because it wasn't, it wasn't feasible to have training from my U S coach because we didn't know where I could even run. And then all the meets got canceled obviously. And then the Olympics got pushed. And so that was really the most challenging part because it was like, I didn't know when I was going to see my family. I didn't know when I was going to race. I didn't know where I was going to live. It was just like a really you know, beautiful time, but also challenging. And um, I think since then, it's been much more smooth because we've all, I think, accepted that there, there is a lot that we can't control. And it's, it is a more normal feeling now to just be in it for the ride and and hope that the world's health improves and understand that we aren't in control, um, you know, of when that exactly happens, but we can control our own individual actions. Sure. And if you do, when you do go back to the summer games, are you planning on running the 10,000 meters, the marathon, um, or both? <laughs> um, so, okay. Well, I took like a meaningful 
like respite from racing in the winter to focus on my book, which like we all know, you know, I had hoped to run in the Olympics and then release the book. That was always the plan. But when the Olympics got pushed, my book release didn't get pushed. So I, but I needed to respect the Bravey book release, like a kind of Olympics. Sure. And it is, I mean, it's something that I've worked for years on and dreamed about. And so I like paused my racing pursuits for, you know, December, January. And now I'm looking into like kind of a late spring um, opportunities in, in the marathon. And I'm also like keeping an eye on the track in case something with the marathon isn't feasible, um, you know, always being nimble. So I think there's opportunities that I'm looking at in uh, in May. And then if it happens to be tracked, then that can go into June. Uh, and then, of course, fall marathons. But that's after the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. That's uh, amazing that you can be so open and kind of, you know, take whichever road presents itself. That's pretty amazing that you can um, pivot like that. So, um, so your book, as Dimity said, is so wonderful. It's beautifully crafted. It's genuine and at times so raw and exposed. And I know it's aimed largely at your younger female followers who are nicknamed Bravies. Yet time and time again, your words resonated with me, a middle-aged mother. And so you're just 30, yet you've amassed so much life wisdom. Could you talk about the aim of, of what you want to, um, you know, hit with this book. Yeah. Well, it's great. I think that's such an honor that it spoke to you because I didn't write it. You know, I wrote it obviously with the young audience in mind, because I care deeply about people that age. And and I know how impressionable I was at that age and how much it can make a difference when you find like a satellite mentor through way of a book, you know, or a podcast, for example, but I also wanted this book to speak to to parents because it's a lot about parenting and the way that my dad intuited parenting after my mom, you know, took her own life when I was four and um, and about anybody who is navigating with any kind of um, really like perspective confusion, because I think a lot mm. of the book is just about trying to give vocabulary to situations that seem to be objective and we can look at them differently if we shift our vocabulary. And that I think is the real power of a book is just giving people words, fuel in the form of words and hoping that some of them resonate and make a difference, you know? Um, And, you know, to your point, a book, I think to me is not a diary in that I knew there would be an audience. And so I didn't write it for myself, I wrote it to try to speak to people, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that it did. That's awesome. Yeah, you did, you did an amazing job. Well, so for those of us who don't know the term, tell us what a bravey is and, and, and um, read your, or recite your little poem. I'm sure you know it by memory. Yes. Okay, so bravey came about um, from a poem that I wrote, which was run like a bravey, sleep like a baby, dream like a crazy, replace can't with maybe. And that word bravey stuck because I think, you know, growing up, I chased really specific outward facing things, labels really like pretty and fast and strong. And those were all 
words that described something that I was projecting, projecting into the world. And I think bravey felt bravey felt different to me. And I think to people, because it's more inward facing and it's a choice that we make and it's not, you know, exactly a real word, but we know where it probably, where it comes from. Um, but we can decide what it means for us. And I think, uh, you know, I always want to make choices or give myself tools that I can immediately um, use and and have agency with. And I think an inward facing word is a much more powerful word than an outward facing word that the world must assign to us. And so that's where that word came from. That's awesome. I, I, I think it's going to be, uh, I know it's, you say it's not a word, but my guess is in like two or three years, it's going to be make the Merriam Webster list for new I, words in the dictionary. Oh, that <laughs> would be amazing. <laughs> I just heard uh, Tyra Banks, I guess it was, was she on, I think she was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And she was uh, talking about how she created the word smize and how she's been lobbying for years to get Merriam Webster to put it in the dictionary. So, so I think, uh, you know, that after the Olympics and maybe a fall marathon, you know, you you could maybe lean into that that goal. Uh, <laughs> great, great. <laughs> so, um, so as I mentioned in the intro, you're a poet, and your book has these poetic and sometimes witty snippets at the start of each chapter. So I especially love the one that's a conversation between a girl and a wildflower, and also the one that reads, you can be proud of yourself and want more out of yourself at the same time. So, you know, what was your goal, if there was one, with these quips or snippets and are some of them your poetry well they're all my poetry Mm -hmm. so and I think the goal was one to you know for those people who only knew me through social media prior that Mm -hmm. might have been the only way you knew me was through my poetry and the little posts that I might make on social media and I think part of it was just to show I mean the the real truth is is It was to show that even if the poems feel, um, you know, really whimsical and sweet, there's some real like circuitous, you know, melancholy behind all of them. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. It just, they have a real backbone. And I think I tried to pick some poems that might've been the thought at the end of a really difficult journey that you read about in the chapter prior and just Mm -hmm. show that like, you know, this came from somewhere real. And so I think it served two purposes, like one to refresh, like reset, you know, palate cleanser and like Mm -hmm. a little takeaway, but two, to just show that, that there's real substance behind what I'm putting out, you know, elsewhere in the world. And it comes from a really real place um, that you learn about in the chapters. So that's intriguing to me. So you see them as the postscript almost to the to the chapter rather than the start of the next one. Yep. That's how I thought about it for sure. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's all good if people thought about mm-hmm. it in their own way. I guess oh, yeah. it's I'm... kind of like how a chef. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> well, it's I like mean... how a chef can't decide. A chef can't decide how you're going to like, you know, eat their food. They can just put it out on a plate and hope that you eat it how they intended it, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there they were after I finished the book, I sort of thought about going back and just looking at those themselves, you know, and, and um, you know, because obviously those could stand alone. And I hope you are thinking about maybe putting out a book of poetry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so in running in life, um, a mentor can be invaluable. And you spend some time in Bravey talking about your mentors. Uh, you write that asking for help is a superpower anyone can have, but only some people use it. It is brave to ask for help. I found this message especially resonant these days when so many women in particular are struggling. Talk, can you talk a little bit more about the importance of asking for help from someone you admire um, or someone who has the skills you'd like to possess? I know, personally speaking, I, I, I like hunger for a mentor, but then when the idea comes, I kind or when the opportunity comes, I kind of freeze up a little bit. So why do you think you freeze up? Um, it feels demanding <laughs> to the person I want to ask, you know, like, mm -hmm. hey, will you make time for me in, in your life? Right. Okay. So that's interesting because I think there's, um, you know, I think the idea, the word mentor feels like, like a one way, you know, somebody mentors someone else, like they're giving, you know, part of themselves by way of their mentorship. And that's one way to think about it. And I think certainly in very generous cases, that's how it works. Um, but I do think that there's like a two-way street to it where we have this ability to like draw out of people um, mentorship. And it in your case, it seems like maybe the fear is that they're not getting anything about out of it and that it's just asking a lot of someone and it's, you know, gonna it's gonna be too much. And that's a fair like fear to have, I think, but it's like the worst thing that anyone can say if you're like in a position to receive mentorship or ask for mentorship in real life or something, they can just say no. And I think that our fear of like taking someone's time is like, shouldn't stand in the way of us asking them because it's okay if they don't have, they only have a little bit of time or they don't have time at all, or they don't want to do this. That's fine. But I don't think anyone's going to be offended that we're asking because at the core of that is just a deep admiration. Right. Um, however, I do find that what's really useful is asking really specific questions of people. If I really have, am I, if I'm in a position to be close to them or ask them in real life to ask as specific of a question as possible. So not like a, how did you get to where you got? Cause like, that's so broad, but like a specific question that shows that, you know, and you respect what they've done. That's what I've always tried to do. And then when we're not in the room with someone, we can have them in the form of satellite mentors. And to your question about like, why is it so important to ask for help? It's, it's not important. It's just a tool that we have at our disposal, which is like learning from other people and adopting what we find admirable or useful about them and adopting them into our own life and our own, the fabric of us. And so I think it's like, you don't have to, but I don't know why sure. anyone wouldn't because it's out there. Like people are out there for each other, you know? I agree. And I think that that's a really, thank you, Alexi, for, for clarifying that two-way street. I mean, it's definitely a flattering ask, right? And, and, and I have kind of thought of it as, you know, me taking the water from their bucket and pouring it into mine, when in fact, we would probably both be, you know, enjoying a drink together, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a helpful twist of phrase. And I also like the idea of satellite mentors. I mean, there's so many, you know, podcasts and books and videos and stuff that are available to us now that you can, you know, 
have a teacher, have a mentor and have them not even know that that they're doing it for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, that's a really scary thought too, because like, that means that if you're putting something out in the world, we don't even know who it's going to affect. Like I'm sure with your podcast, even it's like people probably listen to this that you're not even aware of. And like, that's a really cool thing. And it's also like, it's, it's like scary in a way. Cause you're like, wow, this, <laughs> this might like influence, you know, someone in Greece or someone, you know, who knows? Sure. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so two of the tenets of another mother runner is self-care and wellness. So we love that you spent some time writing that health is, as you said, an important ingredient for athletic success. And then as you detail from your own personal experience, sleep is so critical for being healthy. So can you please detail your experience with how running on barely any sleep impacted your body? Because gosh, a lot of women in our audience, you know, women of a certain age, as you will find out one day, Alexi, sleep becomes all that more elusive depending on where your hormone levels are and things like that. So talk, you know, I was really struck by how little sleep you were getting and then what an enormous impact it had on your, on your body and your training and your running. Yes. Well, so I think that like depression and mental health injuries often, or they can start as like a nervous system overload and, um, you know, just like a lack of recovery basically. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's the same way that injuries in our, the rest of our body start too. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, normally sleep a lot and really value that. And after the Olympics, I stopped sleeping because I wanted to know like what was next and did not want to slow down and pause to just like, let the adrenal fatigue, you know, come back in a natural way. And I stopped sleeping because of the anxiety that I was experiencing about the future. Mm -hmm. And, but I didn't stop training even though I wasn't sleeping. And that was problematic because it, I think, initiated this depression. I think it was like a genuine lack of recovery that started, you know, my spiral and me not recognizing that not sleeping is not only like bad for my tangible health, but it should have been a sign to me to pause and just Mm -hmm. figure out why I wasn't sleeping. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't pause at that time, but now if I have like a rough night of sleep, I adjust like what I'm doing the next day. And I even pause to think about what was it that was keeping me up because it's not just going to go away without Mm -hmm. some kind of addressing of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, not just waking up and being like, okay, today's the day. The, the, here, I got to face all of it. I loved you talking about the your pal who uh, gets into her pajamas, gets back into bed, <laughs> and then you know the alarm goes off. New day, as if she can just yes. press start again. That was that was very funny. Well, and for wise. what it's worth, yeah, and for what it's worth, for anyone who needs to hear it, I think that getting another hour of sleep, like I would trade any mileage for more sleep. Like I will like a hundred percent, there's no doubt that sleep is better than training. And it, I would, I would make that exchange any day and Mm. encourage everybody to do that for what it's worth. Oh, 
Are you, are you still a, um, a big napper? Um, like I, we watched, or I watched the movie Tracktown. I think Sarah did too. Mm-hmm. Um, and naps were big in your world and your high altitude tents. Is that, is that still a big part of your routine? It, you know, it depends on the, like the, the phase that I'm in, like truthfully okay. right now, I'm just letting myself, I think like COVID has honestly allowed me to sleep in enough that I'm not like, it's like, I'll sleep like 11 hours. So I don't mm. feel like I need that nap. But I think during those times when I'm in hard training and I'm only sleeping like eight or nine hours, I might need a nap. So I think it just depends on the day, but I'm always open and down for a nap and I do take naps. <laughs> All right. I am a, I am uh you know, if you're president of the nap society, I'm definitely vice president. So that's uh, great. Do you yeah. nap? Like, are you, are you napping? regularly or how do you fit that into your day i don't nap much during the work week i don't find myself um getting tired during the work week but there's saturdays and sundays it is a rare weekend day that i don't take a nap or at least just put the book i'm reading in my lap tilt my head back and close my eyes for a couple minutes um and and see where it takes me yeah it depends on how comfy the chair is you know uh (laughs) 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 so um changing topics a little bit um so as the subtitle of your book suggests you're well acquainted with pain all sorts of pain but for now let's talk about the pain during a workout or a race you talk about visualization which we've talked about on this podcast before and um you know we're big proponents of it but i'd never heard the phrase playable actions before as a way to manage um, pain in the moment, like in the final segment of a race. So could you please define playable actions, explain what it can do for a runner and give a few concrete actionable examples, please? For sure. Okay. So what I love about this is that it actually, I realized later was totally synergistic with what I learned about mental health and how to approach like, you know, rough days, rough patches, which was, you know, my, you know, it'll come back to what you were asking, but my psychiatrist was basically like, you can't change your feelings, but you can control your actions and your actions change your thoughts, which change your feelings. And in that order only. And I, and this playable action concept actually comes from the acting world where um, if a director is trying to get two actors in a scene to like, and change what they're doing, it's best to approach them by giving them some sort of action to move towards rather than say like, be more angry at her or like be sad. And, um, and in a race, what's so like in a scene, for example, rather than say like, be more angry at her, you might be like, throw the book against the wall or some, <laughs> some action, right. Or, or get her to leave, um, get her to leave the room now, you know, mm-hmm. and that's an action. And when I'm in a race, what was really helpful was when Jeremy, my husband and partner and I started talking about playable actions as it relates to running, where when I feel, um, you know, not great in a moment, I'm feeling a rough patch. I try to focus on my actions rather than my feelings mm-hmm. and an action, a playable action in a race might be uh, a playable action in a race might be, you know, count five mailboxes. If you're in a road race that is in a neighborhood, it might be. <laughs> shake your arms, um, and take three quick steps. Like that's something that I try to do to kind of shake my like immediate patterns and feelings, um, or, you know, focus on the breath of the woman next to me. Mm -hmm. And these are all things that are playable actions. 
And they really do take us out of our own head. And I think what we find is that these rough patches in a race are temporary and they are, you know, we can come out of them, but we need to like allow ourselves to come out of them. And I think these playable actions allow us to focus on something else and do something else. Mm -hmm. And then the feelings will follow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay, we're shifting again because there's so many great topics that we want to touch touch on with you, Alexi. Um, you talked about willpower budgeting and you talked about how willpower is a measurable and depletable resource, which I really love that idea that it's measurable and it's depletable. It's not that you can you can't stand up to everything and make a thousand decisions every day. Um, I remember way back in the day I read an article. Uh, and Vanity Fair about Obama. And he, um, he like only wears the same suits, only had the same, you know, lunch. He had very few, like when he had to make choices, he had such big choices. He had to make that when it came to what he was going to wear, what he was going to eat, he kept it very easy. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just, I'm curious, like how you do your willpower budgeting. Can you explain that? Because you were really, you're really diligent about it. And I think it really shows in the choices you make. Yes. Well, so the first thing I think that anyone can like absorb immediately and that I needed to understand was that what builds and depletes my willpower is unique to me. Mm -hmm. And what builds and depletes your willpower is unique to you. And the important thing about that is that if we otherwise, we might decide what we should feel mm -hmm. about a certain instance in our life. For example, like cooking is an example of something that builds my willpower. It builds my willpower. I love it. But for somebody else, it might deplete their willpower. And if, if we try to force ourselves to like think something is going to build it when it doesn't, it's just going to be counterproductive because then we have self-resentment and we feel secondary emotions, which are, you know, when we judge an emotion of ours mm -hmm. and, you know, secondary emotions are like completely unproductive because we can't, change how we feel about something. And I think when it, when it comes to willpower, I try to really understand what builds my willpower uniquely and what I can do for myself. And what builds my willpower is sleep, cooking, and good, knowing that there's like good food around the house. And I think that comes from that childhood feeling of not knowing like what exactly we were going to eat for dinner, not knowing when my dad, my dad was going to come home. And so I get great comfort in knowing that like, while I'm writing this script or while I'm doing this workout, there is something in the oven that's like waiting for me. And so that, that's what I do for my willpower. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, to each their own. Yeah. So just to be clear, Lexi, so willpower, so something that you're looking for something that kind of fills your cup and makes you kind of soothes you. That's what, that's what builds your willpower versus depleting it is something that enervates you. Is that, is that right? Yeah. It's kind yeah. of the thing that makes you feel like you can do, you, you can, can make... you can do like, okay. the, so it's not as much like soothing as maybe, maybe it's like neutralizing your ability to make decisions and go forth with challenges of, of the day, Yeah, you know? Well, and and, one, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, one of the examples that you used in your book was putting on your headphones when you have to drive to um, like a, a workout that's not, you know, meeting in a central part of town and about how that, you know, you used to be like, oh, I would, you know, I used to talk with my teammates, but then I realized that was taking a lot of my energy. 
And so now I, can you just kind of talk through that example a little bit? Cause I think that was really helpful. Yeah. So I'm an introvert, meaning I replenish my willpower like alone and in solitary tasks. And so when I used to be on this team in Mammoth, um, where we would drive like 30 or 40 minutes to get to our workouts, I would spend so much of the bus ride talking to people that when I got to the workout, I would feel completely depleted. And it wasn't that I didn't love talking to my teammates. It was just that that wasn't the right way for me to prepare for what was going to take an, an effort that was going to take so much willpower just to, you know, deliver the workout. And so I would, you know, need to remove myself and give myself the opportunity to like, not only replenish my willpower with my music, but like build it up as much as possible so that I felt capable of taking, you know, the workout on with full, full possibility and capability. Um, And, you know, I think what you're asking is really like how to like defend or, or take, take care of your willpower without feeling bad or making other people feel bad. And I think just being honest with people they can handle it if you're like, look, I need to like listen to my music now. But sure. if they don't know, then they're obviously going to not know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just being clear on what you need. Well, and along those uh, lines, you're very uh, uh, diligent about um, preparation, right? One of the things that you talk about is tomorrow starts tonight, um, whether it's your work or your workout. Um, I think I'm going to steal it. I might tattoo it on my wrist. (laughs) Um, It's so great. So talk about that mentality and that perspective and and why it's helpful for you. Yes. So tomorrow starts tonight to me just means doing things now for my tomorrow self that will set me up uh, to have the most like willpower reservoir possible for the undoubtedly challenging tasks of tomorrow so it's kind of like a gift to yourself and you know you can do that in so many ways but i will lay out my clothes the night before if it's like a big day or if it's any day and that helps i'll like pull food out of the freezer if it's like (laughs) just knowing that there's going to be good dinner tomorrow or you know making the plans of when you're going to step out the door for your training even if you're just meeting yourself Um, I call it practice and I set a time and I make it happen and that makes it more inevitable that it will happen, but it also preserves your willpower for the next day where you don't have to take the time to decide what time am I stepping out the door for this run, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important for so many women and particularly moms, you know, that there can be so many other things that seem to come up and interrupt our plans to get out the door and you know, everybody says, oh, write it down, you know, like it's a a dentist appointment or something like that. But I think even just framing it in your mind as practice and this is what you've set out. Yeah. 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 I'm going to practice now. You guys have soccer practice or, (laughs) you know, dance practice. I'm going to do my running practice. Right, right, right. So, Alexi, you write about uh, running the 2018 Chicago uh, Marathon, um, right? 2018, about two Mm -hmm. years after the um, Rio Olympics. 
and it didn't didn't go as you had hoped and planned and um, visualized and um, so but when you're writing about it, it really hit me about that you were talking about doing your best and how it changes given new limitations such as inclement weather and I feel it's an especially important reminder for women that doing your best is all you can give and that your best quote unquote your best can change from one day to the next or one situation to the next so could you um, talk about that a bit please Yes. Well, I guess the truth is that we just cannot control whether or not we are the best, but we can control, you know, our try. And for Mm. me, it's always been about like, what's going to let me sleep well at night? Like what is going to let me feel okay with myself? And I think for me, it's just about knowing that I've tried my best Mm -hmm. and hopefully, you know, are trying the best matches our expectation, which, you know, in that case, in the Chicago marathon, it didn't like me. I thought that my trying my best would yield something and it yielded something else. But when I, when I had that moment in the race where I realized like my trying my best was not going to match my expectation. Um, I still needed to shift and stay on my own team and, and have my goal simply be to keep trying my best, if that makes sense. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that's like all life is, you know, is just having integrity, having big dreams and goals, but knowing that we can't control whether or not we get them, um, and rather controlling like our effort and having integrity with the try. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that having integrity with the try. Oh, I know, please. I'm writing frantically. That's why I'm silent right now. <laughs> I know we can control our try. That is, that's, that is going to be a line I will come back to along with like everything. I know Sarah marked her book up like a textbook, a college textbook. And I have like a thousand dog ear pages in mine. So anyway, okay. So final question for you, Lexi, we're coming at it from the parents, the sports parents, maybe the helicopter sports parents yes, situation. Love it, love um, it. So one line in your book really stuck with us um, when you're uh, because you were talking about the largely hands-off approach your dad took to you in athletics, whether that was conscious or just a situ- situational um, because of having lost your mom. You said uh, there's a huge difference between opening doors for your kid and pushing them through it. Again, one more time, there's a huge difference between opening doors for your kid and pushing them through it. So many of us debate about how much to encourage our kids um, and if it crosses the line to pushing. I mean, I'll be honest, like when I saw you like took two years off of high school track, I was like, oh my God, and she ended up at the Olympics? Like, that's not linear. That's not how it works, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, what what guidance can you give to, you know, let parents, you know, if they need to, and may, some may not, but take a step back and let the kids, you know, discover the door, go walk through it on their own. Yeah. So, well, I really do credit my dad for a lot of this. And I think he is a really great role model for parents um, in some ways uh, and in the important ways for me. Um, He was frustrating to me at the time because I wanted more help. And I wanted him to be more involved in the ways that I saw other parents being involved in the like cuddling at bedtime if I couldn't sleep. Like that was not at all, never once happened. And um, at the same time, he knew what was important and what was not important. And I think what was important 
was knowing that I was busy and like had a reason to get up in the morning and had a reason to, you know, that I like fundamentally wanted to like be in this world. And what wasn't important was whether or not I was actually succeeding or, um, or winning. It was more about learning how to fall down and get back up. Um, but when it came to like showing up and trying, I mean, when I wasn't running, it wasn't apathy. It wasn't that I was doing nothing. It was that I was so passionate about doing something else. And I think he saw that and he saw that I was growing and learning how to be a teammate and how to fall and get back up in other ways in soccer and theater and student government. And so it wasn't like he just let go. He just knew I was engaged in things that were engaging to me at the time. Mm. And then, but when I got to Dartmouth and I wasn't great at running, he didn't let me give up so easily. Mm. Um, I was failing in classes. I was the worst on my team. And he was like, there in no world was he going to let me like transfer or quit. And it wasn't like he said that he wasn't like, you can't quit, blah, blah, blah. He was just like, <laughs> just keep trying Lex, just keep showing up. And he kept me um, grounded in that way. I think he kept a sense of humor about it. Um, and he just didn't really give me the vocabulary for that word quit. Mm. And, uh, and I knew, I knew that the good news and the bad news about continuing to show up was that it works. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's just great. And I think this book, I would, I, I would think is as much about parenting as about chasing dreams. And I hope that it helps, mm -hmm. um, any parent. Cause I really think he's just an angel and, and a, mm. a stellar person, you know? Oh, that's, that's sweet. Awesome. Well, as a PS to that, I was looking at your Instagram account preparing for this. And you did you sit down and read the whole book to him? Yes, I did. That's oh. so cool. Why? And talk about why it was important for you to read it out loud to him. Uh, it was important to read it out loud to him because I didn't want to hurt him. And I just needed him to, you know, he's someone who can be really, like, easily embarrassed if he feels like some kind of you know, parenting technique that he's doing is not like the right one. Like he can get self-conscious to be honest. And mm -hmm. I think he, I needed to feel like he understood that he, he, I was really thankful for how he raised me. And, and also I think his understanding of my mom shifted when he saw depression through my eyes and um, understood that it wasn't his fault. She just didn't really get the care that she could have gotten and that I got. And uh, it was a really epiphanal time for us. And, uh, you know, we've gotten so much closer since that that time that I read it to him. And it was just, you know, life-changing really to have that experience with him. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. What a gift to give him as well. Um, well, thank you, Alexi, for joining us. This was really an enjoyable conversation. And we encourage everybody to go out and get a copy of Bravey because it really, I think it will speak to the reader no matter their age. I'm so grateful. And I know I'm like, I feel like I'm a little more serious than people expect sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, like, I guess that's me, you know, <laughs> like, that's me. Yeah, that, that is you. That's all we ask. We are constantly invited to be ourselves. So thank yes. you for coming on and being yourself. No, absolutely. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Super grateful. All righty. Take care and uh, we'll be looking for you uh, in Tokyo. Thank you. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Sarah, you're going to control your try today? 
I am. And I'm going to give vocabulary. I love how she hearkened to that a couple times with, you know, uh, giving the vocabulary that if kind of we can find the words for it, it will kind of, uh, you know, make it better or make it more manageable or, or figure out a way to deal with it. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I noticed in her book, and I we didn't have a chance to ask her about it, but I mean, she's so good at describing things, noticing mm-hmm. details, noticing, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, that to me is the mark of a of a great writer, um, oh, because yeah. you can just really put yourself in her shoes. And she cared as much about the like Olympic cafeteria in Rio <laughs> yes. as she did about her race, you know. And that's I love that. Like I love the behind the scenes stuff. Oh, you know, yeah. like, of course yeah. I love a good race, but you mm-hmm. know I love. I don't know. It's just she just did an amazing job. I'm I'm yeah. uh, have a little yeah. bit of a girl crush going on. I must yeah. say. Yeah, exactly. And next we'll need to watch Olympic Dreams because you know it was, it was filmed at the Winter Olympics, and you know her husband filmed it, and he was the um, artist in residence at the Olympics. And I think it might have been the first time they had an artist in residence at the Olympics. So pretty intriguing. So awesome. All right. Okay. Well, we got a lot going on in the Train Like a Mother Club, Dimity, as you might know, because you're in charge of the Train Like a Mother Club. Yes. Yes. We've got a big weekend coming up. We are having a sale on our ultra programs. Um, You know, as much as we know about the pandemic, we know that trail races are coming back a little bit faster than road races, Uh, the social distancing, the small numbers, the being out in fresh air with no spectators Mm -hmm. uh, lends themselves to a nice experience. So if you have an ultra dream, Mm -hmm. um, if you want to run a 50K or a 50 miler, we've got those two programs right now led by Christy Scott, who is a ultra runner uh, down in Arkansas. uh, Arkansas? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, Arkansas. (laughs) Sorry, showing my uh, geographical uh, ignorance here. Um, anyway, so she's, she's great. She, uh, very hands-on, very much wants her athletes to succeed. So check that out. You get 20% off all the programs. Um, if you head to the train, like a mother club, you can check that out, uh, just for this weekend. And then, um, the next round of simply nourish starts on March 15th. So we've got that foundational program with nutritionist Ellie Kempton, to go and help you learn how to eat for energy and mental clarity couldn't recommend it more so mm-hmm. lots of good stuff going on and they can find all that by going to train like a mother dot club again that is train like a mother dot club and have to throw in a shout out the final winner of our 50 dollars gift card to the mother runner store for subscribing to our podcast is tiana martin i hope i said her first name correctly and um it is not too late you can still subscribe to our podcast at any point you just won't get a chance to win $50 gift card. Our, pod- <laughs> our, our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy, bravey miles to you. Bye.